Good morning to you. It is so good to see all of you again today. Um, first of all, before we get started, I just want to take a, a quick moment. I haven't had a chance to express this to you uh, since everything that happened uh, in January. Um, thank you so much. Um, it was palpable, the love and the concern and the encouragement and the care, the prayers that you were offering on my and my family's behalf um, after my dad died, um, just the just all that goes along with that. And so uh, I, I was blessed, and I am so grateful for you all, um, for the encouragement, the kind words, the cards, and, and just everything. So um, blessings to you, and thank you for blessing me. Um, it's really good to get to worship together. I'm so glad to be here again this morning. Um, and uh, for those of you that are tuning in uh, online, if you're watching right now, or if, uh, if this is something that you tune in into later this week or, or even a month from now, God's blessing and encouragement to you it is an amazing thing that we get to share in this worship, in this moment together, um, despite the fact that we can't be in the same place at the same time. Uh, this is God's blessing on us. And... Hi, Mom. <laughs> she called me this week and said she might be tuning in. Um, today, uh, we get to continue on in a journey uh, that we, have be- we began uh, right at Christmas time, and that is the journey through the Gospel of Luke. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Trent uh, shared with us uh, some uh, scripture and some reflection on uh, a portion of Luke 8, as we were in Luke 8 and 9. Um, and uh, I'm... I, I was listening to what he was preaching, and I just wanted to remind us where he ended up, because it's a bit of a springboard for us as we head into Luke chapter 10. So as as Pastor Trent was preaching in Luke 8, he was challenging us to hear if we have ears, and to ask ourselves what kind of soil we are becoming If we are pursuing a connection with God that will cause us to be fertile soil, fruit-bearing fields. Because, and this is super important, as fruit-bearing fields, one of the realities of of seed-producing healthiness is that the seed is made in abundance and it goes out and is sown in so many more places. A, A lamp on a stand is not hidden. Does this sound familiar? It's like, oh, that's right. That's what Pastor Trent said. Bing! Like, lights come on. Good, awesome. We're on the same page. So this is kind of our springboard. Um, what he didn't get to share with you, and, and, and a reality of Luke 8 and 9, is that this isn't the only moment where something like that is, is shared in these chapters. Uh, later on, as Luke 8 continues, uh, Jesus goes, comes along and encounters a man who is uh, consumed by a demon, a legion. And Jesus heals the man, and then tells him, To go and share what God has done for you. Here's this beautiful fruit that's been produced. Go and share it. In Luke 9, uh, he tells his disciples, he sends out the 12 to to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel in different locations. And they go out two by two to share Jesus' message. uh, Later on, again in Luke 9, he uh, challenges his disciples to feed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and and two fish. He says, take the blessing you have and share it. I promise it will be more than enough. Over and over again, we're being challenged to go and share. Jesus is getting very specific about a lifestyle that comes when we assume a new identity in him. 
when we get the gift of eternal life, we get an assignment. As I was uh, listening to Pastor Trent's message last week, there was this one thing that he said, and it was just this mo- tiny little fleeting moment. You ever have that? You're listening to somebody, they're talking, and, and they say something kind of in passing, and it grabs you, and it just holds on tight. And it's, it might not even be the entire main point of what they're saying, but that one thing just, just holds on to you. And, and, and that happened to me as I was listening to what Pastor Trent was saying last week. Um, he, he was preaching along, and he said this one little thing. He said that Jesus in, in, in Luke 8, as he's talking to his disciples, he's, he's, he's preaching this parable of the seed and the sowers. That he is sharing with his disciples how the word of God is to go out into the world. And that got me. I, just, I, I thought that was powerful, because how the word of God, the good news, is meant to go out into the world is through people. We are the carriers of the gospel. And that's a a beautiful thing. It's an intimidating thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so I want to know how. And that's where I think Luke 10 comes in. Luke 10 helps us to understand how we do it. How do we carry the gospel into our world? And I think as we get into Luke 10, I'm going to unpack that for us a little bit, uh, one particular section of it, and um, although I'll do a little bit of an overview as well. Um, the, um, the how we do it, and I'm just going to tell you, and then I'm going to explain why I think this. Um, how we carry the gospel into the world, the, the method that we have been given. I think in Luke 10, what Jesus outlines for us is that the how is through Identity. It's a part of who we are. As soon as you say, I believe in Jesus, as soon as God grabs a hold of you and says, you are mine, you belong to me, there's something that becomes true in us as the spirit dwells within us and transforms us from the soul out. We get a new identity. We become salt. We become light. And we engage the world around us with fruit born. I don't think that what we are called to is a life of accomplishment where we have to achieve certain goals for Jesus Christ. I don't think that that's what Luke 10 is about. I think Luke 10 is about identity, like uh, like an automatic piece of carrying a certain name. Once you have a certain name, the name of Jesus upon you, there becomes an identity that you have, like an indelible, erasable, unerasable, irerasable. I'm going to just make up a word. Not able to be erased, Mark. That you can't get rid of. It's you now. This is who you are. It reminds me of, uh, uh, of when I was a kid growing up in northwest Iowa, and uh, we, I was from a, a kind of a smallish town. It was about, uh, I don't know, 5,000 folks. And in this town, as you're growing up, there are certain names that mean certain things. There were the folks, there were the, the, the name of the sports people, right? There were the folks, that, when you heard that last name, you're like, oh yeah, they're going to be in sports, and oh yeah, they're going to be good. Like, the coaches would compete for the young people in high school to be in there. Like, yeah, you know what, you should go out for basketball, because I want you to stay in shape for track, because I'm the track coach. 
And the basketball coach is like, well, no, no, basketball is where it's at. And they're fighting for these people. And, and the opposing teams, as soon as they found out that there was one of these kids with the last name on that opposing team, they were going to be competing against them. Like, oh, no, we're going to lose. <laughs> right? Always going to state, always the top scorers. Oh, yeah. Right? It came with the name. I don't know why, but they were all really good at it. Like, uh, like there, was, uh, there was the name in our town uh, of the hardworking family. They were the Sandbolts. If you were an employer, you wanted a sandbolt working for you because they were trustworthy and they were hard workers and, and, and they were loyal and, and he's like, you, you fought for them. There were, also, there were also the kids, they were the troublemaker name, right? You saw the kids with that last name walking into your store, you probably follow them around, make sure that there's no five finger discount. I'm not saying that it was fair. I'm not saying it's nice. But when you carry a certain name, you create certain expectations. Um, it's like uh, as a parent, when you say to your kids, hey, you know what? When you step out that door, I want you to remember who you are. Because it declares something. As soon as you walk out, it declares something. At the beginning... <clears throat> I'm going to unpack now. I'm going to unpack Luke 10 a little bit. I'm going to summarize it, um, and we'll dig into the scripture itself uh, at one particular point. Um, So what happens in Luke 10? How do we get this understanding of identity? Um, Not accomplishment, but identity. And Jesus is trying to help his disciples, help the people following him understand who you are matters. You're going to bring this out, and this is how you're going to share the beauty of what I have given you. So it begins, Luke 10 begins with this moment where Jesus, at the beginning of Luke 9, he sends out his 12. At the beginning of Luke 10, he sends out 72 disciples to go out to to share his name. They get an identity, Jesus, and they bring it as a people on a mission to everyone and everywhere that they can go. All around them, the local area, they bring the kingdom of God with them wherever they go. They heal the sick, they cast out demons, um, they go. Part and parcel with having the name of Christ follower is this stuff that you, that, that, that you get called to. And then Jesus continues in, in Luke 10 to help identify uh, what does it mean to be his, to have his name. And the next moment in Luke 10, Jesus is, is telling people, he's letting them know, if you're following me, here's who you're going to interact with. So here's the sending. You're going to be sent. You're going to go out and you're going to do great things. Now, I also want you to know to whom you're going to go. And then we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with that parable, let me summarize that for you. A Jewish man is traveling, and along the way he is robbed and left for dead. Two religious, holy people walking along the same path come across him, and these men who are supposed to be, they're supposed to have an identity of God's men, walk on by. In fact, they actively make sure they don't get even close. And then an outcast from society, a person whose identity is, ew, we don't associate with them. He comes along and he goes right up to the hurting man. He goes right up to the hurting man who was from a a, a background who probably would not have helped the outcast if the situation was reversed. He goes right up to him, and he binds his wounds, and he pays for his treatments, and he heals his hurts. 
And Jesus tells this parable so that we, so that all of his disciples will know the answer to a very simple question. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? So we are sent to whom we are sent. Jesus lobs this up in Luke 10 so we can understand how we're going to be sharing his gospel message. This is all good stuff. It's powerful. This is a calling into mission and action and service and the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You've probably heard this a lot from a pulpit. Are you serving? Are you out there teaching Jesus? Are you going out and sharing the gospel? Are you getting people to come to church? Do you have a mission? Do you have something to accomplish for Jesus? You've probably heard this. Have you been challenged in this way? Okay, thank you. I got some nods. Now here's where I want us to slow down. And I want to make sure we don't miss something that happens twice in Luke 10. As Jesus is outlining, you're sent. These are the people you're sent to. And as he's unpacking this for his disciples, for us, he bookends these beautiful things Right on, the, right, right on the front end, he says it. And then on the back end, he, he, he has this moment where it says basically the same thing. He tells us something beautiful, something important that defines this call, this identity. He says it in the middle of the sending of the 72, and he says it. Uh, it happens again, and he makes the point again in the story of Mary and Martha you know, remember when Martha and Mary are, are hosting Jesus and Martha is working in the kitchen and Mary's not doing anything and Martha's like, Jesus, tell her to get to work. And he says, no, she's chosen what is better and it's not going to be taken from her. The word of God for us today is in Luke chapter 10 and we're going to start at verse 17. The 72 have been sent out. They've done their mission and verse 17 begins, the 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I Praise you, Father of the Lord of Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for amazing, powerful words. So how does this craft our understanding of being sent? 
How does it define it? Because yes, we are sent. We are sent to those in need that God has placed in our paths. That is true. We have a mission. That is true. But, however, people are people, and so often when something cool is going on and we get excited and we get uh, on point or we kind of get geeked up about accomplishing things or getting things done for Jesus, we forget to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Jesus heard it in the 72 as they come back from their work. He hears it at the end of Luke chapter 10 when Martha asks him to tell her sister to get to work, to get to work for Jesus rather than just sit at his feet. When you're a normal person, and I'm, I'm a normal person, this happens to me, are, are you a normal person? Do you, normal, you know normal people? That's a loaded question. I got a good friend who says to me, hey, look, <laughs> normal's a setting on the washing machine. <laughs> We're not normal. <laughs> but, you know, we, there's, there's, a, there's this thing that's kind of universal. There's, there's something that just people are people, and this happens. It's, it's easy to get caught up in the power and the glory and the end result of what we're supposed to accomplish if we have succeeded for Jesus. Because we are created to be sent. We do have a mission, but there's a catch. We're not created to accomplish. The one who accomplishes is God. The one who does the work is the Holy Spirit. We are called to obey. And that means we don't know how it ends. Like we know how it ends. We've read Revelation. <laughs> We've seen the empty tomb. But in our day-to-day ministering, sharing the gospel, being sent, we don't know how it ends. And sometimes we really want that. We want to have a success story. We want to be like, I did it! Hallelujah! It's an inadvertent side effect of people being sent on missions. We tend to get caught up in the results of our mission. Do the numbers add up? Did we succeed? And unfortunately, this becomes a focus on accomplishment. We are supposed to evangelize. So how many people have you won for Christ? 54. You've been counting. We are called to baptize. And so we baptize. There there are churches whose only mission on this earth, they believe, is to baptize. And so they baptize, and they baptize, and they baptize. There's no follow-up. There's not necessarily any discipleship. They've got a whole bunch of baptized people, and those folks have no idea what it means to live for Jesus Christ. But they've baptized. So they're done. And when we focus on the results, unfortunately, in our sentness, it ends up turning, turning the people we're sent to, because we're sent, and we're sent to people who land in our paths, we end up turning people into projects. People become statistics, they become numbers, instead of people. You ever, you ever had someone come to you with an agenda? 
They want something from you. And that's it. They don't, they don't listen to you. They don't, they don't really care about what's going on with you. They don't want to hear what's true for you. They just want you to be what they want you to be so they can tick off that box and they can move on. It doesn't feel good, right? It's not fun. Nobody likes to be a project. Nobody likes to be a statistic. No one wants to be an issue. And when God's people get caught up in the pursuit of what we're supposed to accomplish, we have an outcome to fight for that we have to make sure happens. What ends up happening is we end up using the people in the path as we head off for our accomplishment. We end up using them for our own spiritual gratification. We have something we have to do for Jesus and and we're going to be the success story. And so... treat people like commodities. This is not new. It's not something that just happened today or or recently. This happened even back when Jesus was trying to train people up. It happened with the 72. They got hung up on accomplishment, on power of what they could do for Jesus. Lord, even the demons submit to us (laughs) Uh, in your name. And Jesus says to them, don't Rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. That's not the point. Do rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Just like he says to Martha, Martha, you are worried about a great many things, but few are needed. If you, if you take a chance to really process through verses 10, 17 through 22, and, and you're hearing it like for the first time, I've had a long time on this, so I've gotten a lot of time to process. So I'm just going to share with you, as I've been processing this and praying through this, what, what, it's like, what I think it boil, things are boiling down to here. I think what Jesus is saying as he sends us out, and he sends us out to the folks that are kind of in our path that need help, He says, go out into the world, not for what you can accomplish, but instead in celebration of what you have received. Go, not for what you can do, but for what I have given you. As if he's saying to us, just just be what I have changed you to be. Rejoice in the gift you've been given and share that gift with the people around you. I'll do the rest. Be the name I've given you. And I'll do the rest. Because the power isn't the thing to get excited about. What God has done for us, that's the thing to get excited about. That's the thing we are experts in. There's nothing greater than who we know and to whom we belong. That, folks, is the great work of the gospel. Jesus basically says that in John chapter 6 when somebody asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus says, well, the work that God requires is this. Believe in the one he has sent. That's it. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father but the Son, and anyone who the Son decides to reveal Him. It's all just a gift. It's all just a gift. 
We never figured it out. We didn't, we didn't get it on our own. It was given to us, revealed to us, something we were overwhelmed with. How in the world do we think we can make someone else figure it out ourselves? What makes us think we have the power to change hearts and minds? We don't. Paul ran into this as he was starting the church in Corinth when he had to confront the folks in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I think Jesus is using this moment to remind his followers, those of us who are sent of his identity, our identity, it comes with his name. Don't get caught up in what you're supposed to accomplish. Just minister to others with our greatest strength and our most convincing truth, what we've received from Christ. This is our testimony. This is our celebration. This is our power in our sentness. We are sent. We can never forget that. There's a super big temptation in the church to be like, well, I'm just supposed to celebrate what God has done for me. So I'm just going to hang out in my Bible and hang out in my church. And I'm just going to kind of cloister myself. Ooh, cloister. That's a good word. Um, just popped out too. It's amazing. Work your vocab, man. It's awesome. We're just going to hover around in the safety of all this stuff because it's just a celebration of who I am. That is not who we are. That's not the identity of Christ. We follow one who was sent. Therefore, we are ourselves sent. If we forget to be sent, we pervert our faith and become selfish consumers of all things religious. We must not, not, not ever. We are sent we are sent to the hurting who have been placed in our paths. And the best we can bring to them is not our abilities, not our hard work, not our logic or our knowledge of all things Jesus. We are not meant to rejoice in those things. The best we have to offer is the testimony of a changed life. How have you been transformed? What has Jesus done for you? This is your testimony. This is the amazing message that you have. You don't have to convince somebody about the about amillennialism or, or, or the, the difficulties of transubstantiation. I mean, not that you don't know. You can know these things. There's nothing wrong with knowing these things. I had to know these things. I think I got an A in knowing these things. But that isn't my testimony. It's not what I'm sent with. I get to tell you that I have been... Uh, I've been horrible in my life. I am broken. I'm tempted daily. And my only strength is that Jesus Christ says to me, I am yours and you are mine. And when you're feeling down and you're feeling like you're going to just spark up in anger and, 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 and I tell you, I, I used to have a problem with anger. Furious, control freak control freak all over the place. And sometimes there's a temptation for this to rise up again. There were early moments in my being a dad that I was not a very calm dad. I don't know if you can sense that in me that sometimes I'm not calm. <laughs> I 
And there is some relationship with my boys that I get to work through even still today. As I say to them, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you like that. Can you forgive me? Because Jesus keeps changing me. And I was a believer back then, but I'm still a work in progress. What does it mean to you that your name is written in heaven? Because you are sent. There is a whole bunch of people in your life. You run into them every single day. Your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends, your coworkers. Sometimes, sometimes, and God does this, sometimes the stranger you come across. And God says, boom, pay attention to that one. We are sent to them. They are in our paths. And we don't have to convince them about the Trinity or, or, I don't know, whatever theological thing is the topic of the day. We can come alongside and we can say, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. And you don't have to have some grand testimony uh, of, you know, being deep down in drug abuse and, and then in your 30s, God picked you up and boom, now you're saved and you were baptized. And you have a testimony. If you were raised in the church all your life, every single one of us has been transformed. That's the most powerful thing we have. Our greatest work is just to believe in the one God sent and then share why we believe in him. What has he done? We want to be good soil to produce a harvest. Good soil doesn't have to work at being good soil. It just is. It's like good soil is not like, oh, ha, fruit. No, good soil is like, Bleh. there you go. It just happens. It is. It comes out of good soil. I want, I think what I'm trying to communicate, what I want you to get is, is the power of the testimony we have. Something articulated by another guy that was blessed by Jesus, had his life changed by Jesus in, in the Gospel of John. It's just a wonderful moment. And his response encapsulates exactly what I'm talking about, okay? So in John chapter 9, there's a blind man, blind from birth, and Jesus comes along and he heals him. And everybody's like all in an uproar about this guy being able to see. Whoa, how come he can see? This shouldn't be. And Well, it must have been because it was on the Sabbath. Jesus must be from the devil. And, like, everybody's freaking out. And, and the Pharisees grab this guy and they're interrogating him and interrogating his parents. And how come you can see? And, and you got to tell us. I mean, this Jesus, he must be horrible. And this guy is just like, like I, what are you, I don't get what you got going on. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then he says this, I only know one thing. One. I was blind, and now I see, and Jesus did that for me. May that be our testimony. May that be our identity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, what you have done for us, Thank you for your...
your faithfulness and for your goodness and for, for picking us up when we were down. For sending us to carry your name into this world. For giving us an identity. And for putting people into our paths that we can, that we can love on. And for the most powerful thing in us, the celebration that our names are written in heaven. It's true because of what you've done. Not because of anything we've done. It's because of what you've done. You are our all in all. The old is gone. The new is come. Give us the courage to share that with our kids with our friends so they can know just how beautiful you are for your glory and the glory of the name of Jesus we pray amen for our benediction I want to just let God's word be the word to us so I invite you to stand for the benediction if you are able this is from 1st Thessalonians God's word to you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.